Welcome, everybody. Of course, my guest is Megan Kelly, attorney, journalist. Um, millions know her. She uh, really rose to fame as an anchor at Fox News, then hosted NBC. In 2014, she was listed as one of Time's most 100 influential people. Author of 2016 autobiography, Settle for More. And she has a new media venture, The Megan Kelly Show, the podcast. Uh, a new one, she's had her first podcast out that I cannot recommend strongly enough. I suggest as soon as we're done here, you download, subscribe, go listen immediately. Our laws as it pertains to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Welcome the great Megan Kelly. Megan, welcome. Ah. Hey. <laughs> Welcome. How's it going? It's great. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell people about the podcast. Well, I really just wanted to come out with something that I could control and that I wouldn't have to censor in any way, that we could have discussions about any tough... I wouldn't have to worry about you know, answering to anybody or saying sorry to anybody, right? Because I just feel like more and more we're censoring ourselves and we're getting rid of free speech in this country little bit by little bit. Yeah. And if you're somebody who can have a forum where you can have open discussions, uh, then you should take it. I feel almost like you have a moral responsibility to do it. I, I'm predicting that uh, there will be more than just podcasting coming your way. I, I foresee a stream like this uh, or things when you have thoughts in your mind, you can just turn it on and go public with it. It's really, it's a new world, uh, digital. I mean, you've been on the traditional media side. Isn't it sort of liberating to be on this side? A hundred percent. And. Yeah. Not only that, I just think that cable broadcast news is yesterday and the digital world is tomorrow. Yeah. And if you're going to place a bet, you know, which is the position I've been in over the past, whatever, two years as I've been figuring out what I wanted to do next, this is a smart bet. This is where people are going. I mean, think of all the cord cutters. Even we don't watch cable news anymore. And I'm of cable news. I've worked in it right. for 13 years. I have almost no desire to turn it on now. I, I wish I could stay away from it more. It, it, it sort of sucks me back in. Did... Um, uh, uh, you used uh, in your, well, I want to ask you this, the the podcast evaluating the debate, is that up right now or is that coming today, later today? It's about to come up, yeah. Okay. It should be up soon. All right, so I'm looking forward to that. But in the meantime, the interview with uh, Mr. Greenwald, am I getting his name correctly? Was yeah, yeah, tre tremendous. I noticed Megan Dom retweeted, uh, she's called it you know, one of the standouts of 2020, and Megan's a friend and a, really a good thinker. And I noticed you retweeted Megan's comment. That was really nice of her. Um, you know, obviously, I love positive feedback. <laughs> any compliments of any kind are always welcome. Um, but it's nice to get back out there and, and have people who I don't necessarily recognize as fans come out and say they're enjoying it. Great. All right. So, uh, again, check it out. It's the Megan Kelly Show. Please go look at it right now. I, I, obviously, the, the elephant in the room is the debates from last night, but I, I, don't, I don't want to get into that just yet. I want to talk about you and how you got where you are and some of that kind of stuff. You know, one of the things I was interested in discussing with you is um, there, I guess there are a few attorneys in the media. There are not many physicians, but as professionals, it's, it's a special sort of a burden we bear. Don't you think being in the media, we have our professional well, I, standards. Go ahead. 
I think it's a huge advantage. And I always find that it's no accident that my favorite television personalities have some sort of professional background just because they've done something else. They, they weren't dying to be on television. Right. You know, they did something else. They've been out creating something in the arena, you know, as Teddy Roosevelt would say, and not just spectating on those in it. And so I think you bring, you bring a special perspective to the news when you've been yeah. out there as a, as a doer. Yeah, I, I've absolutely noticed that. And, and people that have not sort of worked in the world, they get overly uh, invested in themselves in the media. You know, when you're out in the world, oh, yeah. you you know what's real, you know what's not, and you know how not real a lot of the media right. is. Speaking of not real, you used the word in the Greenwald interview, the word disgusting in relation to the current media landscape. And I, and I thought, oh, my God, that is so hard. Disgust is exactly the feeling I have about it. Tell me a little more about that feeling. They're just so dishonest. I, I just don't trust them anymore. You know, I, I, I have felt it so acutely over the past six or seven months during COVID because that's something in which you really want to know what's going on. And it's been a, a microcosm of what we've seen in the media and so many other stories, which is the stifling of any dissent right. from the view that they want you to believe, right? Like, this is who we've decided is the right person. And if you don't accept his narrative, then you're a bad person and you need to be silenced. And this is more complicated than that. I think most people want to hear opposing views and see what makes sense to them and see who they trust. And, you know, Trump gave that presser back in March and I tweeted out like, I, I don't know who to believe. I don't trust him. I, I know he would lie to me and I don't trust these media. And all the media responded with like, ah, oh, how could you? Not? I'm like, how could I not trust you? Russiagate, Jesse Smollett, in which you, case you told me he was a victim and how horrible everybody like. And then they never apologize. Hands up, don't shoot. like. They just don't acknowledge their mistakes, right. and they they've lost all credibility with me. Yeah, I, I, Tari, as I saw this coming, I, I was screaming about it in January, saying that press needs to shut up. They're going to create a panic that is going to be worse than this COVID thing. And, and I got I got of course excoriated for that. But here we are now. In terms of why the press would feel they weren't trusted, they just learned to pronounce some of the words they now have a clinical opinion about. That's insane. That is insane. Sure. It's beyond yeah. the, the editorial board of the New York Times got together and demanded lockdown. They're demanding non-pharmacological interventions. I thought that was the job of the health department. It, it was it yeah, was I, a, a kind of a craziness. I'm, we're going to look back on this and it's not going to look it's not going to look nice for the press. Well, so two things on that. Um, I, I had to have a wisdom tooth pulled recently, which was fine. Actually, it didn't even hurt. But um the doctor said to me, and the doctor's in there during COVID doing, you know, in your mouth dentistry. Yeah, sure. So like he's 40,000 layers on and yeah. so does his hygienist and so on. But they were there. They were doing of course. it. And he told me, he said, I don't know a single, this is, he's at a very well-respected institution. He said, he said, I don't know a doctor that's not taking hydroxychloroquine yeah. prophylactic. Yeah. But you're not allowed to say it. Right? You can't say it. It's like, this is the whole reason for my show. We should stop saying you're not allowed to say it. You are allowed to say what you want to say. You are. This is still America. Uh, it's hard. To, it's hard to recognize it. It's not the one I was used to, but I agree with you one hundred percent. Yeah. They, they. But there are some states where you cannot prescribe it. It's illegal to prescribe. So my next question is, don't you think? I, and I'm going to put your attorney hat on for a second. When, when we look back, well, when we get far enough away from the craziness and we can think with clarity again. Don't you think there's going to be legal action for constitutional overreach on some of our uh, government officials, particularly certain governors? Yeah, I, I do, because I think people are just, they're not quite in the fetal position right now, but they're scared. 
And I understand that the the media has scared the living daylights out of them. Yes. I mean, I, you know, I don't mean to compare COVID to the flu. I know that's controversial. I get that they're different. But if you were to put the flu numbers of deaths on the screen as often as they do with COVID, <laughs> people would there too. Yes. And they'd be really reluctant to send their children to school because that's something that actually is killing kids at a higher number. Correct. And so you, you need to be responsible with it. And, and I see the same thing now with a false narrative with about police allegedly in the streets hunting down black men. It isn't true. What the media does is they take a sensationalistic case that almost always happens in an election year and they decide to blow it up into something that they claim is representative of the relationship between all police and all black men. Whereas you could take similar video of police and, and a white man resisting arrest that ends badly, not to say either is okay or great, but they only choose the ones where it's a, where it's a police officer with a black man and then try to tell everybody that's what's happening. It's happening everywhere and black men are not safe in America. Well, and you, Greenwald mentioned in your interview that's up right now at uh, Megyn Kelly show, that uh, the dishonesty around congregating, uh, that you're not allowed to have more than eight people in your backyard for a barbecue, but you can have 50,000 people in the streets of Hollywood. And, and, uh, it, it, I, and I don't care if they were to say, you know what, this is such an important issue. We're stepping aside. Of course, we, it's a, of course it's going to create some spread. We wish they wouldn't congregate in the streets, but it's so important. We will, we will step aside and, and, you know, and, and, um, our recommendations will will take them down for the this important demonstration. Instead, they go they just because I had the public health officials. I I do a local news broadcast and I bring the po public health officials in. I go tell me something. So four people congregating, no good. Uh, ten people worse. Yes, yeah, ten people worse. Hundred people worse. Okay. What about fifty effing thousand people? That is a right, right and a privilege. That is their demonstrations. That is a privilege of the United States first amendment. And and that's their answer. And, you know, you have people rightly saying, you didn't let me say goodbye to my dying parent in the hospital because you said it was going to endanger lives. And I listened, you know, husbands who didn't get to be with their wives when they were giving birth to their babies and they listened. And then they're supposed to just say, ah, when they say, well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. So people really felt the need to go and put those flowers out. Like, I can understand people's rage, not to mention, you know, the restaurant owners yeah. and the hair salon owners, the people whose yeah. entire livelihood is being destroyed, yep. where there is a way, if we get creative and clever, to, to help them. But instead, we just shame them, saying, you want to kill people? And it's really about them trying to stay afloat and keep their own families well. Disneyland uh, was begging the governor of California to give them guidelines as every other governor and every other leader in international settings for the Disney parks have provided guidelines where they have safely opened their parks with no surges. Our governor refused and 25,000 people lost their job yesterday. Yeah, I, and honestly, I just got back from the Jersey Shore, which is where we spend our summers. Jersey, Jersey baby. And uh, <laughs> we, we have a fun, yeah. Um, we have a fun amusement park there on the Jersey Shore, and it was open. They wiped down the rides in between. You had to wait a little longer to go on. They didn't fill every cart on the Ferris wheel, and the, you know, but it it was working fine. People had a great time, and there was no spike. We were there all summer. There was no spike whatsoever in the COVID rate. It's just you have to have the will to do it. And I think right now, I I, I can't help but think 
that on November 4th, somehow the will is going to return. Right. Magically, we'll be able to do it. I think we ought to have a hashtag like October 19th or something. Open your business. Hashtag everyone opens. Hashtag or open safely. Everyone open safely. I mean, I'm not I'm not advocating that we just disregard. I, I'm saying yeah, we have to learn how, learn how to live with this thing, learn how to live with it and and have, you know, and, and reduce the risk. And, you know, there was a study that just came out. I'm, I'm going to be reporting on it later today that showed that something like only 8% of infected individuals infect others. I mean, I should get the headline out for you and see exactly what it said. Uh, but it was really rather striking how few people are dramatically infectious, let's just say, that most people are uh, do not spread the virus. Here it is. Increase mm -hmm. your, oh, no, no. I don't have it. I might be able to come up with it. Look uh, what's happening in the schools. Just this week, the data came out that the transmission rate in the schools is far lower than anybody expected. It's less than 1% now amongst the kids and the students and the, and the teachers. And, and contrast it against the damage that's being done to the kids and being forced to stay at home, you know, from lower socioeconomic classes who, are, who can't even get access to the Internet to kids in families of, of abuse, you know, where teachers are usually the first line reporters of abuse in children. It's like... Can't we get real about the relative risks on both sides? Well, this is the thing that, that made me apoplectic from the beginning. We have people making decisions that aren't used to making a risk-reward analysis. So we're talking about everyone's worried about health. Well, health is not one illness. So we have people delaying treatment, delaying screening, delaying getting to the hospital when they're actually sick and dying. We have people escalating their depression, suicides, alcohol use. There's a, just a study that just came out talking about them, that particularly women are severely using alcohol right now, white women particularly, uh, opiate overdoses. I, 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 here it is. It came. It, it's, it's arrived. And God knows what we're doing to the trajectory of, an, of a generation by holding them back from their social and cognitive development. Right. Oh, my God. That's exactly it. I mean, my kids are little. They're they're. They're 11, 9, and 7. And, you know, half the reason you send her to school is not so that they can learn how to multiply fractions, but to navigate social situations and resolve conflict and be around other little humans for the practice of when they're out with all the other larger, older humans in college and so on. They're, they haven't been getting any of that. I mean, it's not real. I get to listen to the Zooms now, right? Because I listen to my daughter. She's on. She, it's great. The teachers are doing a great job. But she, it's not that what she's learning right now is is critical. The whole point is to get them interacting with others, and yes. that's gone. It's gone. And, and I understand back in March, I understand in April, but now here we are. We're moving into October, and, and the rates are going down, and we're getting better at treating yep. it, and we're, yep. we're going to find a vaccine, and we figured out social distancing. And so it's like it's time. The, the scales are changing. Yep. That's, you're absolutely correct. Um, do you mind if, can we talk about your kids for a second? Sure. Um, their names uh, caught my attention. I, I wanted to know immediately where, I mean, obviously, as I look at your kids' names, they have uh, historical implications in various ways, <laughs> right? Is that, is that where the names came from? No, but I know why you say that. So my oldest child, a boy, is named Yates, and that's after his, his name is Edward Yates, and he's named after my dad, who was Edward, who died in 1985, but not, and my husband's not, dad. But not W.B. Yates. Uh, no, no, oh, but okay. it's funny because our, our priest said to him, um, how do you spell it? You know, is it is it Y-E-A-T-S? And he said, no, it's Y-A-T-E-S. And uh, he said, oh, okay, so not like the poet. And he right. said, no. And then he looked at the priest and said, how's the other guy spell it? <laughs> the other guy. <laughs>
So anyway, that, that was Bates. He's named after his grandparents, his granddads. And then when we got pregnant with Yardley, my middle child, you know, when you have a first kid named Yates, you can't name your second <laughs> child like Anne. Kathy. Yeah. You know, like, whole life, it's like, oh my God, Yates is so interesting. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. For, so Yates, where does that come from? So I don't know where I got Yardley. It popped into my head one night, and I'm kind of convinced, kind of convinced, because uh, I love the movie Christmas in Connecticut, which was 1947, Barbara Stanwyck starred in it, that Yardley was named after a very fat, bald, white guy, uh, old old man named Alexander Yardley in that movie. Oh, how interesting. Could be. I think it's okay. Where it came from. Uh-huh. And then my little guy, Thatcher, um, I just liked the last name, his first name thing, and, it was, and Margaret Thatcher had died recently, and it was, so it was kind of in the air. But then my Irish friends are like, you better not have named him after Margaret Thatcher. And I did not name him after Margaret Thatcher. But you can tell him, you, you'll give him Yates. Tell him, uh, Yates, I named Yates after a famous Irishman. So. Yeah, you can, that's right. That's right, exactly. I should have thought of that. So also, if you don't mind, take me down the road uh, for media for you. You're, so you're practicing law in New York. And how, how did journalism happen? And, 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 and would you call yourself a journalist or would you call yourself a commentator? Tell me more about that. Uh, I'm a journalist. Uh, I do some commentary as well and, and analysis, news analysis, but I'm a journalist. Um, so I was, uh, sorry, I was, I was practicing law and I practiced law for almost 10 years. And uh, I decided I just wasn't happy, just wasn't happy at all and needed to make a career change and had no idea what that meant. Like, well, what, what next? Because as you know, when you go to training for a long time to do one thing and then you do that thing for a long time, especially a profession, unlike journalism, which is considered a trade, you get, you know, you feel proud of yourself. You think you're fancy and your ego gets attached to it. Well, your identity, uh, your identity gets wrapped up in it, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. And And I really, I was proud of it. I, I, there was no one in my family who had gone to professional school. So what what sort of law were you practicing? You don't mind me asking. What, what? What sort of law were you practicing? Uh, I was a commercial litigator, so I tried business cases, mostly defense work, for a big firm named Jones Day. Um, so, and I, I liked the actual practice of law for a long time, but it was just such a grind. And uh, I, I spent all of my 20s at the office. I just didn't nurture any relationships, never mind my own well-being. And there was one night driving home on the Kennedy. I was in Chicago, and uh, it was three in the morning, two in the morning, and I was like, if I just turn this car off the road, like maybe I could just break a major bone. It would have to be a major bone, you know, like, like a femur, maybe not my back. That'd be too awful, but like, you know, a rib, that's not going to do it. An arm, but I need a break. And that was really my, my red flag that maybe I needed a different profession. Maybe that's and, not uh, a normal thought. Maybe that's not a good thought. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know a lot of lawyers who have stories like this. It's just, it's such a grind and you don't, people don't often talk about it. And a lot of lawyers turn to drugs mm-hmm. um, or, you know, huge use of alcohol and, yep. and you know, abuse of it. Yep. And I really just didn't want that. I, I looked around and there were a lot of guys at the firm who had ex-wives and a couple of mortgages and they were, they were golden handcuffed to the firm. And I wasn't. And I was like, I'm, I'm out of here. And my one friend said, don't do it, MK. He's like, D- you know, you got to stay. You're, this is your highest and truest calling. Mm. And, uh, you know, you, you, you'll never be as good at, at, at that job as you are at this one. And I, I looked at him and I said, but I get to be on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really just more like I'm doing something that excites me. 
And that, that might be fun and utilize some of my skills. It's funny. I had people early on too saying, I just don't want you to ruin your career. You're like, like maybe I have some instincts that you don't recognize. I mean, there's things that, that we, yeah. can, we can do here that you don't, you don't really see. Has the lockdown been okay? Oh, let me ask something back to the law. Uh, what do you make of the threats to, uh, to uh, expand the Supreme Court of the United States? That's not going to happen. I just, I can't believe the Democrats mean that threat. I don't believe they'll do it. Uh, it's be, Expanding the Supreme Court is killing the Supreme Court. That's The Supreme Court's over if you do that. It'll have no credibility. No one will adhere to the rulings because they will consider it an unelected political body. Uh, it will just keep expanding because then when a Republican gets back in the White House, he or she will add his own three justices and it'll be over. I mean, the jurisprudence as we know it will be over. So I don't think they'll do it. I think it's an empty threat. And you've described yourself in the past as apolitical. Are you managing to hold a middle ground these days? Well, I, yes, I think so. I mean, I, I mean it in a couple of ways. I'm not driven by politics. I'm not somebody who, you know, eats, sleeps, and breathes politics, as some people are. I like it as a piece of news that I cover, but I like covering legal news and I like covering, covering cultural news and, you know, crime, whatever it is, but politics has its own lane. Uh, but it's not what I'm about. Like, I've never been a hard partisan. I've been a registered Democrat. I've been a registered Republican. I'm a registered independent. You know, yeah, me, I'm, me too. I, I just don't, yeah, not like, I don't feel like, yes, the Republicans, those are my people or yeah. the Democrats, they're for me. No, I'm no. like, you know what? I'll make a on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, exactly. I, I, sometimes I thought I was libertarian, but I'm, libertarians don't really have a heart, so I'm not a libertarian either. So, <laughs> so I'm not sure what I am half the time. Yeah, it's hard It's right. hard to hold middle ground. You you interviewed uh, a friend of mine, somebody I did a radio show for quite some time, Lauren Savan, who was really one of the first people to say, me too. Um, how was yeah. that interview? How did you find that? She's so brave. Yeah. Lauren Savan was... She doesn't, she doesn't get enough credit for her role in taking I, I down. To, I completely agree with you. She really was the first one that said, me too. She goes, oh, yeah, that happened to me. Because she had told us about it a couple of years before. Well, that's right. And nobody had gone on television to tell their stories about Harvey except for Lauren. She was the first one. And she was not somebody who, you know, had a lot of power in the television industry or Hollywood for that matter, which she wasn't really in. Uh, but she did it. She did it before he fell. Before he fell. Oh yeah. So the story had been broken by the New York Times, and Rose McGowan had come out, and um, she and a couple of other women. And Lauren came on my show on NBC that that Monday. It broke on a Friday. She came on that Monday, and told a disgusting story about how she just met him in a restaurant at random here yep. in New York. Yep. He took her on a tour of the restaurant. They, he found her in a hallway down in the basement of the building. And the next thing you know, he was pleasuring himself right in front of her. And yeah. poor Lauren is like, whoa, Yeah, whoa. Cor corner her down there. I mean, and she said, yeah. and she, you know, I, I, because we did a radio show every day, I, I brought it up several times to kind of really explore it, you know, what that experience was like for her. And she said, look, this guy's 250 pounds. What, what am I going to do? I, you know, she's, you know, she's, 85 pounds and five foot four or something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's up, how, how, what, and of course what she did was, which was interesting. She immediately started blaming herself. How did I get myself in this position? How did I lead him to think this is positive? Blah, 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 blah. And I said, wow, that is heartbreaking to you. And women do that so often, so often. Well, all right. So I'll, t I'll take you on, on that. Um, I think it's sad that 
that that was the first instinct and pretty much the only instinct. I mean, for a long time, that's all we did. Yes. Blame ourselves and yep. move on. Yep. But I also believe in personal responsibility. And I think it's, it's okay for all of us to ask, well, what did I do that endangered me potentially? Or what could I do differently the next time to help in, in, increase my odds of staying well? Um, and I think it's okay for women to reflect and say, I shouldn't have met him in the hotel room. I know why I did it, but I'm going to take responsibility for that piece of it. And that that's not victim blaming. That's just being smart. It, it's, it's interesting. I, I just naturally, in a way, my esteem, my low self-esteem and the way I think, I always try, I always assume I have a role in everything. Some, something I've done has got to figure that I could improve, that I could do better to reduce the risk yeah. or increase the better outcome, that sort of thing. And, and I, so I, I agree with you absolutely in principle, in principle. However, uh, me pushing back, I just, you know, I noticed women did this long before the Me Too thing. And, and I'd always say, yes, great that you do that. But maybe it's, it's called the it's one of the aspects of what's called the fundamental attribution era, er, er, error. You, it, maybe it's something in that other person and not in you. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think what the Me Too movement did was gave us a whole new framework for even considering that it, it might be almost all of his fault, right? It's like, yeah. or all of his fault. Yeah. It's like when, when you get robbed trying to go into your house, like a lot of women, they have a grocery bag and they have their keys out. And we've had stories of them getting attacked as soon as they open up their door to go to the apartment. Yeah. Um, and then something awful happens to her. Is that the woman's fault? Absolutely right. not. It's a hundred percent his fault. Right. But we should still stop and say, how can I better protect myself? How, what, what could, what did I do that I could not do the next time or advise my Agreed. daughter not to do? Right to protect her against the fact there are yeah. bad guys out there. Yeah. So, so again, I, I think we're saying the same thing, which is it's it's definitely uh, advisable to have the posture of taking responsibility and checking out your role in anything that happens to you. Uh, let, let's and it's more empowering. It's more empowering. I, Just one other point on that. Absolutely. As somebody who's been, I don't like the word victim, but as somebody who's been the target of a couple of bad guys in my life, some actual criminals. I just think it's much more empowering to believe maybe there is something I can do different, differently that will change my future, that will improve my chances of never experiencing this again. So that it's not always to be seen through the framework of who is to blame. You know, some, yeah. some things can be seen through the framework of how do I empower myself to do better and have a better future in dealing with powerful men or potentially dangerous people. Yeah, I'm sorry you've been through that. I, I you know, I, is this all part of the media story for you, the media career? Where that, oh, those no. things happen? I mean, I had a very bad, I had a very bad criminal stalker for oh. a while that was a very scary situation. And then I had That's another scary. one right after that guy. Um, okay. And then, you know, I've, I've, I've had some public situations that people are aware of, but uh, look, the one benefit of all that stuff is you do get stronger. If you don't, you know, Good. collapse in a ball on the couch, Good. You do get stronger. No, I think you saying that, I think that helps other women. Well, I hope so, because honestly, in a, in a way, huge crises thrown at you or in which you suddenly find yourself are a gift. Because how are you going to build your superhero muscles if you don't have a few of those thrown your way? That's a pretty bold statement. That's a, I, I, don't, I don't know that we uh, think that way these days so often. You know, and in fact, I'm going to think I'm going to incorporate a little bit of that in my thinking. I, I, in this day of safe spaces and whatnot, what I've been saying is sort of clinically, look, when people have sensitivities or thoughts or phobias or things they can't tolerate, 
Here's how we deal with it. We expose them. We expose them to those things. And guess what? That builds resiliency and they learn to manage their feelings around it and they get better. But the same is also true for this is sort of in a non-path, almost in a, it's almost like an athletic thing you're, you're talking about, which is you're a, you can go build powers you didn't know you had. Yeah. And there's only one way to do it. Exercise the muscle. Yeah. How are you going to get a big old bicep? You can't just sit on your couch and will it. You've got to get into the gym and lift it and break down the fibers a little so that they come back stronger. And I think the same is true for resilience and grit. You know, I mean, I have so many women say to me, you seem so strong. How, how can I raise a daughter to be strong? And I, I, the sad truth is they need to go through some stuff. Like you have to let them get hurt, fall, have their ideas challenged and fall on their faces, you know, find themselves on the wrong end of hopefully just mild, not bullying, but you know, means mean girls or mean boys. Um, it's not that you wish any of this for your child. It's just that you shouldn't stop it from happening out of a desire to protect them because you, they have to learn at some point, life is going to bully them. It is, no matter how many safe spaces we create during their childhood. And our job, when we still have them cooking in the house, is to give them the skills with not only how to deal with the other people, but how to deal with their own heads and, in, in processing it. And failure. Gift of failure. Uh, of course, 100% yeah. failure. And I'm, I'm guessing your family of origin, your parents gave you a similar environment. And, and you lost your dad at, a, at a quite a young age, right? Yeah, my, my dad died of a sudden heart attack mm. in 1985. It was 10 days before Christmas. Oh. Uh, I was 15 and he was 45. And uh, my, mom, my mom found herself a widow at age 44 with two kids in college and one a sophomore in high school. Oh my goodness. And she was a nurse. So, you know, it's not like we had a, a lot of dough. And uh, it was rough. It was a rough couple of years around my house, but my mom's strong. And she got us through it. So is that is that? Do you think that's where some of your determination, your strength, as other women reflected upon? I mean, it certainly gives you it gives you perspective. I wouldn't say that's where my own personal grit comes from, but it does give you perspective on what matters in life and what doesn't, what nonsense doesn't. Um, I would say the greatest gift that came out of that, right? If you want to look for a silver lining, is um, the true realization that no tomorrow is promised. So why would I waste away one more day or year at a law firm leading a life I can't stand? Right. Why would I spend one more day at, at a news organization where my lifestyle is crushingly sad and acrimonious and upsetting all the time, even though my bank account is full and I have power, but I'm totally missing my children's childhood. Mm. Right? Like, why would I do that? Life, life could end. It could end tonight. It could end tomorrow. And, and it really can. If you've lost somebody in your life, you know that's not just a saying. So you, you have to make changes. You owe it to yourself to make changes, to live your life so that, God forbid, you know, the bus came tomorrow, your loved ones could say she was doing exactly what she was doing, what she wanted to be doing. You know, she, she had gotten her life you know, maybe not perfect, but she had, she was doing the things that she knew would bring her happiness or wellness is a better term. Well, it's, it's interesting to me. We opened up talking about COVID and uh, the medical system and the overreach of the press and the government. I, I did not know your mom was a nurse. I know your ex-husband was a physician. You've been around the medical system a bit. And did you, 
Did you learn anything about it, having seen it from one relationship removed? I mean, I I have huge respect for doctors and nurses. Huge. I just think, you know, my mom, she was a nurse at the VA in Albany. Oh um, and so she, she dealt with these vets who, they were, they were so respectful to her. They used to salute my mom. <laughs> and she was not in the military, but it just gave, that gave me such empathy for wounded veterans and what they go through because it's so much of it is psychological. You know, it's not just the wounds on their legs that, right. that got you know, blown off by an IED. Um, and then I just, doctors and nurses, but especially doctors, have to train so hard, so hard. And they give up, you know, 10 to 12 years of earning. To, to train and then and, train and again. 10, 12 years of living work. too. You're not, you're not living anything except in a hospital. And it's abusive. I mean, you want to talk about like how, I mean, sort of the Me Too movement morphed into, and I shouldn't have to work Saturdays, right. which is right. wrong. No. Um, but like in a journalism shop, that's not what you get. Like, oh, I shouldn't, you know, I'm tired in my, I'm not in my happy place with my work-life balance. <laughs> I mean, right? Going to a doctor going through residency, trying to save people's lives. If that's your complaint, this is not the profession for you. And then in today's day and age, with all the insurance hits they've taken, yeah. they don't really make a lot of money. I no, mean, the it's, doctors, hard, it's hard to make a living. Certain, they, they, you see the plastic surgeons and what they're doing, but they're literally making between an, 100 and 1,000 times more per unit time than the average physician. Oh, yeah. I, I went one day here in New York. I always get my heart checked, given my dad. Yes. And uh, so I've, I've been on that regularly. And one, one day, two years ago, I went to see my cardiologist and his, his office was like barren. There wasn't a picture on the wall. The guy was like one week away from being his own receptionist. Right? Oh, it was yeah. just him. And, yeah. and uh, then later in the day, I went to the dermatologist and it was like a five-star resort. Yeah, it's very different. <laughs> like very different. 40 people working for him and the beautiful yeah. lights and the lounge chairs. And I was like, something's wrong yes. with this picture. Listen, primary care gets it worse even than, than anybody. But anyway, it's a, a topic for another day, Megan. Let's kind of wrap up with a little bit on the uh, debates last night, if you're okay with that. Um, sure. I, I know your pod that's about to drop. You do a, specific, a very deep dive with other consultants on this. Give me your just 30,000-foot view of, of what we witnessed last night. I don't think it moved the needle. I think Trump was Trump. People aren't shocked to see him act aggressively or like a brute, as jarring as it was to see on a presidential debate stage. But, you know, I was on a presidential debate stage with Donald Trump asking him questions in Detroit four years ago where he referenced the size of his unit. So I wasn't particularly shocked. Ladies and gentlemen, our some, president. <laughs> some rude behavior. Yeah. And... That's Trump. That's how he is. If you're not used to that by now, I can't help you. You need to pay closer attention. That doesn't mean it was a nice thing to watch or made me feel comfortable or that I enjoyed it because I would have preferred substantive exchanges. And you can make the case that he should have let Biden talk more because yeah. that might have been worse for Biden. But um, that's the state of America. I think what we saw on that stage represents America right now, shouting at each other, looking at each other through the least generous lens, um, telling people to shut up calling them names, not letting them finish their arguments, back and forth, both of them. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were like, and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, where is right. that? How do I get that? Right. It's, a, it's watch what happens live. Here we go. Anything, <laughs> anything. It's funny. But I, I thought I, it was nice to see 
Biden at least appear, appear more nimble than he has appeared in so many of his media uh, opportunities. So that, that was at least reassuring. Yeah. It's sort of relieving, let's I, put it that I, way. Listening to him talk is like you're on eggshells, aren't you? Because yep. as a human being, you're, you're rooting for him yep. to like land the sentence. Yep. Like you can yep. do it. You know, like yep. let's go. I know you can do that. And uh, so when he was landing the sentences, you, you felt a little relief. Like, yep. okay, God, I don't, <laughs> want exactly. to, I don't want him to be embarrassed. You know, funny? not looking for a Remember Admiral Stockdale in the, the vice presidential debate when Ross Perot ran? He was Perot's vice presidential candidate. Right. And he, he didn't hear anything. And it was like, oh, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I I don't want to see this, the train wreck. Right, right. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Do you miss not being up there when they're doing those debates or was that a, a burden? No, I, I miss it. I yeah. would like to do that again. Right. Um, and I think I could do a pretty good job of it. Um, sure. I... It's it's a hell of a preparation, you know what I mean? It takes months, and it's just brutal because you got to know everything about everything, and the stakes are very high. And if you don't do well, you just get crushed right. uh, by the media, as we're seeing today. But uh, I don't care. I like high stakes situations like that where your adrenaline is pumping. And you you tweeted something to me made perfect sense. Is why doesn't the moderator have a a, a hold button for the mics? He or she needs to be able to control the 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 uh, debates. Put put turn the mic off. That's it. The, the mics and the camera. Oh, and camera, the camera too. Interesting. Yeah. Trump was going on 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 on, interrupting, and I had control. I would have said in my you know I would have said because they can hear you through your mic. Cut his mic and put the camera on me, and I would have just sat there. <laughs> and when Wait. he was done, I would have said, "No one heard anything you said." Because we cut your mic and the camera's been on me. And that's what we're going to do tonight if you guys keep interrupting each other. Love it. Love it. Hey, you had to do it early. You would have had to take control and you would have had to do it early. Because as you know, when you're dealing with like a two-year-old, oh, yeah. if you don't follow on your threat, the first time you make it, there's no getting it back. Yeah. And maybe, how do you feel about a Joe Rogan lengthy sit-down with the two of them? I would love that. Yeah, that'd be good, I would right? 100% listen to that. Because Joe too. Rogan goes for three hours yep. so it'd be a chance to really flesh out arguments and you know you might actually learn something about them unlike last night and finally tell me about the media company where it's going what we should look forward to tell me more well i named the media company devil may care media because i wanted it to telegraph my mission statement you know the full saying is the devil may care but i do not and it's what i'm trying to say is we're getting scolded in every corner now for every thought we have everything we say, everything we do, um, and I'm done. I am done. We can't live like this. We shouldn't have to. We're, you're not bad because you have a, quote, heterodox view of any of these third rail issues. Yeah. We have to be able to talk to each other. Human beings are complicated. Life is complicated. The only way forward as a nation, as a, as a people, is to communicate. And there's it, to tell somebody, you just must stop talking. You're no longer allowed in the conversation. And I've labeled you something awful because our views don't match up is what a frightened person does. And it completely shuts down your exact goal. The other person's never going to be persuaded. They're actually going to develop an antipathy toward you. That's right. So I think the solution is for not just me, but anybody who can do it, start talking about these issues. You don't have to do it perfectly. It's not true. You don't have to be on eggshells when you talk about everything. Talk about them in a way that makes sense to you. And when somebody gives you pushback, you say, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. You tell me more about why you think it's offensive. Then I'll tell you why I think it isn't. And on we go, because 
That's what's American. That's one of our fundamental values. And that is Megan Kelly. You can follow her at Megan Kelly on Twitter. You can listen, watch the Megan Kelly show, which we have up on the screen right now. And it is really, Megan, it's such a privilege to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for spending a little time with me. And I'll let you get back to the kids now. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, I look forward to doing it again. You, you name the time. I'll be there. Thanks, Megan. With so much focus on keeping ourselves and our loved ones safe and healthy, it's easy to forget that most of us are going to experience things like allergies, colds, possibly even the flu. So reminding you, proper hydration is crucial for all of these things. Remember, even slight dehydration can make you feel like you're getting sick, and none of us need that anxiety right now, that's for sure. That's where Hydrolyte comes in. Longtime fans will remember my obsession with Hydrolyte, which is simply the best oral rehydration product I've tried. I'm even more excited to introduce their brand new single-serve powder sticks. Simply pour one powder stick into a glass of water. They recommend seven ounces. The powder dissolves almost instantly, creating the perfect balance of sodium, glucose, and water. Delivers up to four times the electrolytes of your typical sports drink. The other great news about Hydrolyte's new powder sticks, they're 100% all-natural, no artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners. They're available in flavors like orange and lemonade, and they taste great. Hydration is crucial, and Hydrolyte is fastest and easiest way to stay ahead of it. Get your supply of Hydrolyte powder sticks now at hydrolyte.com slash drdrew. Again, that's H-Y-D-R-A-L-Y-T-E dot com slash drdrew. And then use that code drdrew25 at checkout. The World Health Organization estimates that each year, approximately 1 million people take their own life. That's one death every 40 seconds. Experts predicted numbers would peak in 2020, but no one could have imagined the devastation brought on by COVID-19. During the coronavirus pandemic, you may experience anxiety, sadness, and loneliness. Existing mental health conditions, including severe anxiety and major depression, may worsen. If you're feeling hopeless, contemplating self-harm, or you're concerned about someone else, I'm here to tell you there is hope. A Mission for Michael is dedicated to helping clients achieve complete inner and outer transformation. Mission for Michael is the premier resource for intensive mental health treatment in Southern California. With an astonishing two-to-one client-to-staff ratio, each client in their facility receives individual care 24 hours a day, overseen by a team of all doctorate or master's level clinicians. With a focus on evidence-based treatment, along with personalized and compassionate care, they offer mental health treatment that can change lives. If you're suffering from mental illness or you're concerned about a loved one, go to amfmtreatment.com. Again, that's a mission for Michael, AMFM, amfmtreatment.com or call 866-581-4401. Again, that is 866-581-4401. So I am now taking your calls at 984-237-3739. That's 984-2-DR-DREW. Let's go to your phones. I'm going to go look at you guys on the chat as well now. The great Megan Kelly is... Left the room. Anthony, what's going on? Hey, Dr. Drew, how are you? I'm good, man. What's happening? <laughs> hey, I just heard that um, California or the governor just signed a bunch of money for mental illness. Do, have you heard of that, or do you know where it's going to be um, delegated and things of that nature? It's, I'm just glad now, Anthony, I can recognize your voice. So when you sign Anthony, the homeless guy, I know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is Anthony the director of nursing? Is what we've got in my hands here. Um, uh, I had heard that there was a parity bill, right? And I have been through three rounds of parity bills where mental health was supposed to get uh, equitable uh, distributions and reimbursements, essentially identical to medical care, and it, it, it never worked. And here's why. 
They always include language in the legislation. They put the words medically necessary in always. What they don't do is define what medically necessary is. Medically necessary should be what the attending physician determines is necessary for the safe execution of the care. Instead, you know what medically necessary becomes. It becomes something the insurance company sets. And it has nothing to do with the reality of the care of the patient. So here we go again. Here we go again. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, sorry, man. Get your perspective. Yeah, we, that's another conversation. We should have another conversation, you know, offline about the frustrations of ga- how, how, you know, you can't keep people in the hospital more than three days. What do you do with residential care? How do you find resident? What do you do with locked bed needs? And, you know, so much stuff is is a mess still. You know, once we get the laws to be able to help people with chronic psychiatric illness, then we got to come up with the facilities and the the way to pay for it, right? Right, right. So, well, they just, you know, it's it's. I, I've seen this, and I'm like, okay, well, this is great, but then I know in the back of my head, it's just the same old. You, you're, you, it's that's that instinct is good. Each time it gets a little better. Don't get me wrong; it's not as though they're, you know, they're not trying. It's just they leave that language in that the powers that be then exploit, and of course. All of it undermines the caretakers, right? If you let the person who's in the room make the decisions, they, he or she knows what that person needs. Instead, it goes to a review agency somewhere whose job is to get the person out of the out of the care. It's just sad. All right, Anthony, good to hear from you, man. Yeah. All right, thanks. All right, take care. And my number again, 984-237-3739. Let me look what you guys are talking about here. Can I address the promotion? Oh, can we, uh, Susan, you want to address the, the, somebody wants you to address the promotion of psychics on your platform. That's your, you have a microphone? That is your business. We have a show tonight at 5 p.m. Pacific if you want to join us. Rebecca Fearing's coming in. That is my in. wife Susan's uh, material. And I think the goblins are messing with our electronics because we didn't watch on Facebook. And our Collins studio is having issues. So somebody's spirit is here coming, and we definitely need to sprinkle some salt. And if you have any questions about that, address them to Susan Inski. Uh, let's see what you guys are talking about here. Um, defending, no, well, you guys are all over the place. I'm going scrolling back through the chat. Uh, you guys like the idea of Joe Rogan moderating a panel? Uh, Larry King moderating Robbie Bobby. I'm not sure that would have gone the way you think. Um, you guys don't like Chris Wallace. I think he had a tough job to do last night. I think if they had put a dump button uh, on his uh, on his uh, desk, I think it would have helped a lot. Um, all right. Uh, let me see if there's any calls in here. The call thing's broken too, right? <laughs> So the call, of course, our, our call this all system, starts two minutes before we go live. Yeah, our call system is apparently not working as well, but that's okay. We had a nice interview. Let me, let me go over some stuff here. Uh, I mentioned to Megan this article. Let me see if I can find it right now. Uh, I'm sure I can. Uh, regarding the, here we are. Okay, here it is. This is a international study on super spreaders. Uh, oh, shoot. Now I can't, it's not working. Oh, gosh darn it. Well, it, it essentially, well, it's just not coming up. It, it essentially showed that very small numbers of people 
<coughs> Maybe it's <coughs> excuse me, the combination of the dog and the air conditioning. That seems to be the combo. Thank you. Um, very small numbers of COVID cases cause the majority of the spread. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I may be misquoting the number. I was thinking it was somewhere around 8 or 10% of the cases are the ones that spread. And what they showed was that it wasn't that there was something unusual about, about those people who were spreaders. Uh-oh, now I'm breaking up on the screen too. It wasn't something unusual about those people that were spreaders. It was the proximity of two other people the duration, and the indoor with lack of ventilation. Those were the criteria that set up large-scale spreads. In fact, they were able to show that people who hung out with other people for long periods of time where there was not uh, proximity and no ventilation, if they had anything else, if they had ventilation or distance, they didn't spread it. They did not spread it. But about 10% of people were locked down in their homes and spread it to everybody in the home. And so this was another study that showed that lockdown may not be a good move. It may, in fact, be the way we spread this thing. So outdoors, ventilation, mask, distancing. Uh, so Dale is asking, if only 8% are becoming infected from others, what is infecting people? Let me say it again. Only 8 or 10% of the people do the infecting, right? They're the ones that do the infecting. So if you hang out with somebody with COVID and you're more than six feet away and there's ventilation and you wear a mask, you are not going to get it. However, if there's 10 of you in a room for a couple of days, you're all going to get it. I know. Why is this dog upset? Um, uh, so, so the point is something we've known, you know, we've been speculating all along is that that distance and ventilation and mass work. And if you're not locked down inside with somebody, you're less likely to get this thing. So it's just an interesting, it was an interesting study. Uh, um, and McDonald Farmer, asymptomatic don't spread. Uh, they do spread. Asymptomatic carriers do spread. And children do spread. There was something else that came out of this study as well. Uh, and so children don't get the illness, but they do spread the illness. That's something we've been wondering about for a while. And now this looks like it really, it is the case that they are, they do spread even when they get essentially no illness. Um, kindly add links to the studies I'm talking about. Uh, I will try. I just tried to open one up and it, it didn't go through. And so I'm sorry about that. Uh, all right. Uh, Femboy, tell me what did I say that was bias? Okay. Somebody expressing bias. Thoughts on excess deaths, percentage from suicide and ODs. Yeah, excess deaths, uh, I don't have the numbers. I, if you do, live, uh, live Mar, please uh, give them to me here. I'd love to see them. Uh, because we do know that suicide is up, alcohol is up. Alcohol in white women particularly way up. Uh, opioid overdoses are up. Um, the data, if you want to review the data, is kind of interesting. In California, we continue on a downward trend in spite of the... Uh, director of our overall state health department telling us he guaranteed a 90% increase in hospitalization within the next two to three weeks. We've continued down instead. Um, deaths are down, but that's a lagging indicator, but they're way down. We've sort of plateaued and kind of turned down again in terms of cases. The really interesting thing is to look at things like Florida. Now, Florida has opened back up, and Florida so far is kind of in a plateau, no increase in anything. Indiana is also Susan. You're you're oh you're on the phone with somebody. Um, Indiana is also uh, open apparently. 
and they are plateaued, but their hospitalization rate has increased a little bit. That is something really worthy of keeping an, an eye on. Now, they don't have lots of hospitalization. They've gone from essentially 700 to 940, but that's a, that's a move. That's a trend. We want to watch that. Are they having trouble with Indiana with this opening? Are they not able to control it properly? And then, as I've expressed yesterday, South Dakota, North Dakota, Wisconsin, they are in a really serious uptick. Uh, if you look at the national data, which I will do really quickly, um, again, states that are being careful are doing pretty good. We're being too careful in California, unfortunately. National data is sort of plateaued right now, uh, both in terms of hospitalization, the death rate may be going down a little bit, and even the case rate is sort of plateaued. So it's kind of interesting. It's, it's we're in a, it, the virus will tell us. The virus knows what he's going to do. We don't know, but uh, this was more data again today that shows that you can make a difference by being in ventilated space, having UV light. Um, whatnot. Why was H1N1 not handled like COVID? Uh, that's an interesting question, Tom Cigar. I, it's obviously a different virus, but why was one barely noticed and one was a complete shutdown of the world? That, it seems like there should be a middle zone there somewhere, right? Doesn't it? Uh, I would agree. There should be a middle zone. Middle zone. Okay. Uh, anything else, uh, guys, uh, from your end, anybody, you guys all, everyone happy? We, uh, you're all upset that we're not on Facebook and uh, the phones aren't working. We need to sage the room. You're going to sage the room. We need to sage the room. All right. It hurts out. All right. Ridiculous. Let me just, uh, before I wrap up, see. Email so you, didn't go out. The text didn't go out. <laughs> apparently my voice, my, uh, mic volume is fluctuating all over the place too. <laughs> yeah. So. So it's, it's we're we're having a technical oh meltdown God, of one type or another. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm stuck. Our mask a problem oh. with flu season, as Fauci mentioned, the increased spread of flu. Yeah, Matthew, it's a really interesting question. Flu is down right now, uh, and is, that may be distancing and hand washing. Uh, flu is m very much transmitted on hands, and so when you mess around with the mask on your face, that's a potential for flu to be transmitted. That's what Fauci was worried about. But thus far, flu is down. Question is, will everybody get the vaccine, which they should? If you're over 65, you ought to consider the, the high antigen vaccine. The rest of us should get the vaccine. Okay. Thank you, Jeans. Uh, still no calls. That call system is just down, huh? Uh, no. Oh. No, no. No, it's it's down. Yeah. It's down. I called it. It's down because like ours are in the guest list. Yeah, it's, I don't know what's up with the internet today. It's, it wasn't working on Facebook. The text alert didn't go out. Call-in studio didn't work. So something must be up with like the internet backbone well, today. I'm just glad I got of a chance course. to talk to Megan Kelly. That was a, that was I a know. good. Yeah. We had a great interview. Yeah. She was great. She was great. Uh, thank you to Caleb for producing this. Susan for producing. Thank you to Michelle Poe for the design of the, what's behind me here and the lighting. Okay, you guys. Well, good seeing you. Thank you to Megan Kelly. Check out her podcast. And uh, don't forget our stuff. Forget After Dark and all the pods over at .com as well. It's International Podcast Day. So uh, congratulations to everyone that's out there podcasting. And uh, I will see you uh, in, a, in the stream uh, in a couple of days. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. This is just a reminder that the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care or medical evaluation. This is purely for educational and entertainment purposes. I'm a licensed physician with over 35 years of experience, but this is not a replacement for your personal physician, nor is it medical care. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255 anytime, 24-7 for free support and guidance. 
You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.